Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that there is no other like you. One day every knee will bow and acknowledge you as, as Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, acknowledge that and express that in song. Thank you for the reminder this morning of, of your death, your resurrection, um, and all that you are to us. Um, as we look in your word now, um, we ask that you would help us to see a little bit more of your beauty, see a little bit more of, of your love for us and all that you have for us. Lord Jesus, we, we pray that you will be honored and made famous this day. Amen. Okay. Just want to offer appreciation and thanks to the music team. Uh, thank you for all the time you put in to lead us um, in our, our time of singing each Sunday. Really appreciate that. Uh, commend you for getting here on time this morning. Good job setting your watch ahead. In a few minutes, if anybody strolls in, since we are gathered as the body of Christ, no snickering, no finger pointing, uh, just let them come in and, and uh, don't make a big deal of it. Uh, didn't realize Travis was coming this morning. Good to see you. 20 years ago or so, um, our family, Kathy, myself, our five kids, uh, went to Comcedo, worked in the kitchen. Um, kids were maybe 7 to 17. Next year, we went back. Kathy was the kitchen head person, and the rest of us chipped in. Uh, wonderful experience had raccoons that visited every night. Um, we'd come in the morning and see footprints, and uh, so it was, it was quite an adventure, but uh, it was a great experience. So if, if at some point you have an opportunity, go, go to Comcito and uh, be involved there. This morning we're go going to look at a passage in Hebrews, and... Um, I've been praying for several weeks now that this will be an encouragement to you, that it will be a blessing to you. I, I know it has been to, for me, and um, I, want, I want that same experience for you. We're going to be looking at uh, Jesus, our Savior, our High Priest, who has, uh, is at the Father's right hand, and uh, he's always present to help us in our weakness, in our temptation. And uh, the verses we'll also look at will we'll speak to our Heavenly Father, the one that we can come to, uh, it says, with confidence, come to his throne of grace. Just a, a quick couple of things. You're probably wondering, what, what is he doing up there? I've never seen him up there. Um, and so I want to answer that question real quickly. This is my second time to teach at 12th Avenue. The first time was uh, 40 years ago. And at that time, we only had one building, the Little West building over here. 
and you're thinking, gosh, was he only eight when he taught? Uh, but yeah, it really was 40 years ago. And um, I have wondered over time if, uh, and uh, what I'm calling my mysterious note theory, uh, Garen likes these little guides, so I thought I better put a couple of them in, in my teaching this morning. Um, my, my theory is that when I taught 40 years ago, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, for a first-time guy, I, I thought, I did okay. The pastor, not so much. He had quite a bit of feedback for me. And my hunch is that over the years, that maybe he wrote a note that said, do not let this guy teach again. And it was passed down from pastor to interim pastor and, and so on. And so, um, you know, I never taught for the last 40 years. But um, I'm wondering if along the way it got lost, maybe t between John Sapp and Garen. Do you, did you see a note? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Garen had it but said, I'm going to give him a chance anyway. So anyway, here I am. And um, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to share some, some scripture with you this morning couple of uh, disclosures. This teaching is, is largely drawn from a devotional that I've been using the last couple of years uh, by Paul David Tripp called uh, New Morning Mercies. Uh, really been helpful for me, instrumental in, in my walk with the Lord. I use it as part of my, my morning devotion time. Um, I've given it to, to several family members and, and some others. Um, Tim Wright and I used to read from this devotional. When, when Tim learned that he had his brain cancer, um, over the course of, I don't know, a couple of years, I would go and visit Tim. And if, if he and Christy had not read that day's devotional, Tim would always ask, can, can we read that? And so we would read that together. And I remember um, the last time I saw Tim, about a week before he passed, um, he was sleeping a lot and didn't have a lot of communication. And the, the particular devotional we read that morning was, was uh, Psalm 136, a phrase, the, uh, his love endures forever. A phrase, his love endures forever. And with eyes closed, right in the middle of me reading, Tim started singing a praise song, His Love Endures Forever. And uh, it was a sacred, a sacred moment. But wonderful devotional. And I give credit to Paul David Tripp because uh, that is where um, our passage is drawn from. Just uh, a brief bit of background. The uh, letter to the Hebrews, the author is not known. Uh, many su suspect that it was Paul, but we don't know that for sure. Um, it was Jewish converts, people that had become followers of Jesus, very likely living in Rome uh, under the persecution of Nero, and they were wavering in their faith. Um, as you read through Hebrews, you can see their struggles, uh, their, their challenges. They were um, slipping back into their old Judaic traditions. 
the, the mosaic sacrificial system, I think they were probably thinking, you know, here we are in these tough times, why don't we just go back to what we knew? So um, that's the historical context. And um, in, in the verses leading up to the verses that we'll look at in chapter 4, let's see, there we go. We will see these, you would see these themes. Um, three th- three um, themes that seem to, to be portrayed in those first three chapters. That Jesus is superior in his person, um, that he is superior as our great high priest, and that he is superior for life. And as you go on through Hebrews, um, this, is, this is what you would see. It talks about the present ministry of Christ in our lives. Um, that he is the high priest who clears the way for us to be able to approach our Father in, in prayer. Uh, those first chapters show that he is the permanent and perfect high priest and that he offered himself as our, as our sinless sacrifice, um, superior in all ways. Uh, Chuck Swindoll has given an overview of Hebrews and I, I know this might be a little hard to read the fine print. Um, in the back on the information desk, there is a copy of this. Um, pick that up at, at some time, and you can look a little more closely at it. But you can see Jesus superior uh, to the prophets, to the angels, to Moses. Uh, superior as our high priest to all the, the earthly priests, um, to the old covenant mosaic system and then that he is superior in life uh, for all that we need. Interestingly, Chuck Swindoll says verse 14 of chapter 4 is the key verse in Hebrews, and that's one of the ones that we'll look at this morning. Why he's superior The Messiah, Christ, had to be fully human uh, to be our perfect example. And in chapter 2, verse 10, this is spelled out. He had to be our true high priest. And again in chapter 2, verse 17, it talks about this. He had to experience all the struggles and suffering that we encounter. And in verses 14 through 17, we see this. he, he has unique understanding of our everyday weaknesses, the temptations that we all face every day. And this is in uh, chapter 2, 17 and 18. And you can see that scripture there on the slide above. So we come to uh, chapter 4 and verses 14 through 16. And I would ask that you would stand now and we'll read through these uh, words together. Since we have then a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May God bless our reading of his word together. Go ahead and have a seat. Here are the uh, key points that I would like to touch on briefly this morning. And again, uh, several of these are drawn from the devotional from David Paul Tripp, and, and I've added a, a couple of my own that I want, uh, want us to look at. A brief bit of background about uh, the old mosaic uh, sacrificial system. Aaron was the original high priest, and um, let me see, nope, there. There's a depiction of uh, what the high priest would look like in his garments, and interestingly, on the Day of Atonement, that we'll um, talk briefly about in a minute, the high priest dressed a little differently. He was in white linen with a gold sash. And if you would jump ahead to Revelation, when John saw the, the risen Lord Jesus, at that time, he was in white linen with a gold sash. And so it was a, a foretelling of, of what we would see in the Messiah. The Day of Atonement uh, was the most important day in the life of, of the nation of Israel. And they would go through uh, a period of ceasing from work, fasting, a time of uh, being solemn, reflecting on their sins of the past year. Um, also called the Day of Forgiveness. And this was the day that everything was riding on uh, because it was the day that they would would sacrifice in the hopes that, that God would forgive their sins. And um, again, apologize if you can't read the, the small print there, and there's a copy of it in the back. Take a look at it um, after, after the time this morning. First step, Aaron was a sinner, just like us, so he would have to sacrifice for himself and his family. Then two goats would be chosen, and one of the, the, the high priest, Aaron, would draw lots. One of the goats would be used for the sacrifice, uh, for the sins of, of the people of Israel. And uh, Aaron alone would sacrifice the goat, go into the holy place, sprinkle blood on the, on the altar, uh, burn incense. And that, of course, represents Christ, who would be our ultimate sacrifice. Then the second goat, Aaron would place both of his hands on that goat's head and put the sins of Israel on that goat's head. And that's where we get our, our term, a scapegoat, the one who takes the blame, who takes the fall. That goat would be taken out to the furthest point of, of the desert and abandoned. And that also represented uh, Satan, who ultimately would be banished, uh, would, would be removed from our lives. And so uh, the scapegoat took the sin and then he was, he was led out into the wilderness. We could stop right here and it would be wonderful to know that we don't have to go through that anymore. 
that we don't have to live in fear, hoping that God would, would accept the sacrifice um, because we, we have a high priest now, the ultimate high priest. And so um, we could just stop and say, thank you, God. Thank you for what you've done for us. But as we continue on, uh, there's more, more great truth that I want us to look at. Since we, we have a high priest, uh, Jesus, because of what he's done, um, he's, he's worthy of our devotion, and he's worthy of our worship and obedience. And as, as the verse says, um, we hold fast to our confession, or some versions say we hold fast to our faith. And this takes a couple of forms. One, one form is eternal truths. And by that, there, there's no compromise. It's the things we believe in. It's the creed that we sang this morning. Uh, Jesus' death, his resurrection, the virgin birth, um, that we're his universal family, um, that we'll have a, a home in eternity, all those, those things that, that we hold to. Secondly, we confess in our, in our life and our words that Jesus is Lord. Um, in, in all of life, in our work, uh, in our leisure, with our family, uh, by our actions, by our words, we are confessing um, that, he is, that he is Lord. Let me jump back to the, the first one, too. We have things like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. Um, our culture says there is no truth. Uh, on campus or out and about, you, you, you hear somebody say, oh, well, that, that's fine, that's your truth, but that's not my truth. And, you know, you have the, the shifting of sands and, and, and doctrine. But um, what we believe is unchanging. Um, God's word has not changed over time. It is still relevant. It is still our foundation today. And that's the confession um, that we hold to. It says we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weakness and our temptations. Jesus is uniquely touched by our frailty, by our human condition. Um, there's no hint that he's cold or indifferent. Um, no hint that he says, you're on your own, hope you get it figured out. He sympathizes with us. Um, he, he knows us. He knows our condition. Here's how um, Paul David Tripp describes it. I'll ask you to follow along. There's not a day in any of our lives when we don't lay down empirical evidence that we're failures. Maybe it's an unkind word, an ugly thought, ungodly desire. Maybe it's in a moment of selfish envy or unbridled greed. Maybe it's an instance of pride when we have to be the center of attention or steal some of God's glory. Perhaps in an, it's in acts of gluttony or in desires of lust. Maybe it's an instance when our hearts are cold and lack sympathy for the poor or the suffering. Maybe it shows itself when we're jealous of the beauty or power of another. Perhaps it's revealed when we surrender our hearts once again to some earthbound idol. Perhaps it shows itself when we take what is not ours to take or fail to give what we have been called to give. 
Somehow, we all do it every day. We fall short of God's righteous standard. We all fail to be what he has created and called us to be. If you're like me, um, maybe you cringe a little bit reading those words. Uh, We're all in the same boat. We all have weaknesses. We all face temptations. But thanks be to God, even though sin still lives in us, even though we have a terminal disease, um, it doesn't define who we are. Weakness and temptation don't have to control us. It's not who we are in God's eyes. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, um, we stand righteous in God's eyes. This may seem a little bit silly, but I want you to repeat something after me that I found helpful. Um, It's going to say, I am, and then you just put your name in there. I am Scott, in whom Christ dwells. I live in the secure and unshakable kingdom of God. There's hope for us. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, uh, part of it says, and we all with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory and being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which come from the Lord who is the Spirit. As we, as we look at Jesus, as we walk with him, uh, our weaknesses become not quite so glaring. Uh, our temptations become not quite so so overwhelming to us. And the reason for that is that Jesus knows us. He has sympathy. He's there for us. As the slide uh, depicts, here's who we have in Jesus as our friend. He's with us. He identifies with us. Um, He thoroughly understands what we struggle with, our weaknesses our temptations. One version that I uh, ran across as I was preparing put it this way. Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are. I don't know how that works. In fact, I asked John Sapp about that. I just said, how is that, John? How can he know everything and have experienced everything? And he said, he's God. Uh, he, he knows. He's experienced everything we do. Ran across a study by B.B. Warfield. I think he was a, a theologian in past years. And he looked at the emotional life of the Lord. And as he looked at the Gospels, the most typical phrase he found was, he was moved with compassion. Or more accurately in the Greek, he was moved from the depth of his being. His, his compassion connects us to him. Here are a number of examples uh, through the Gospels. Mark, Matthew, Luke. Um, you can see instances when the Lord Jesus encountered people. And you can see the compassion that he had uh, for those people and that he has from us. 
different versions say it in a little bit different way. His heart broke. He was moved. He was touched. Uh, he knows us and he understands us. But it's more than, than just sympathy. Um, the Greek actually indicates that it's active assistance. It's not just emotion or a thought about us. It's active, active involvement in our lives. And um, I've just put together some thoughts about that that you can read there. Um, the things that we experience, the pain we have, the suffering, he experiences that with us. I take great comfort in knowing that Jesus is so easily touched by my struggles, by my temptations. Um, to use the common phrase, he's walked in our shoes. Um, he, he knows what it is. He willingly faced all we faced. Uh, he faced higher and deeper pressures, but he never broke, whereas we always give in at, at some point. He knows every temptation you have, every temptation that I have. One commentator uh, described it this way. Christ has a unique understanding of our plight. Jesus can feel for us in our temptations since he has experienced those lures as well. In fact, it can be said that Jesus actually understands the weight of our temptations better than we do. A man strong enough to lift a heavy object appreciates its weight more than one who lacks the strength to hold it up. At some point, the weak man's power runs out, and he never fully bears the load. He drops it. Christ, in enduring our temptations without failure, experienced their weight far beyond the point where we would have failed and given in. Kind of interestingly, for a long time, I thought Jesus went through the 40 days in the wilderness and then Satan came and tempted him. But as I was preparing and looking at some different passages, it's very clear that throughout the entire 40 days, he was being tempted. Satan was throwing everything at him. Every temptation that we would ever face, Satan was, was throwing that at our Lord Jesus. Hebrews 4.15, the Greek indicates that throughout his entire life, um, he experienced temptation, but without sin. What this means for us, we, we can be victorious. Uh, we all face temptation, but 1 Corinthians says we all, we all face these things. Nothing new, uh, but that God always provides an escape. There's always a way when we turn to Jesus he says, I know what you're going through. I've experienced that. Here, here's, here's the plan. We can be a comfort and high priest to one another. Second uh, Corinthians 1.4 talks about as we experience comfort from God, then we comfort each other. First Peter 2.9 says, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So we can be priests to one another. We can go to the throne of grace with confidence. Although the verse 
clearly says we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. I believe the reality is that we often do that with some, some trepidation. And I'd like to just real briefly take a moment to explore um, an ex- human experience that I think all of us to one degree or another experience, and that, that's regret and shame. And I want to just briefly talk about that. I think we all have two sets of theology. Um, one set of theology is our confessional theology, the truths we believe that we sang about. And I think, you know, most of us could say, oh yeah, here's the gospel. Uh, God sent his son, he lived, he died for our sins, so on. We don't have trouble with that. Then we have a day-to-day theology, and that's what we really believe in, and the way we, we go about life. And unfortunately, um, that gets distorted. I think it gets distorted sometimes by us not really knowing what Scripture says about us. But I think even more than that, it gets distorted by our accuser, Satan. Um, I can't tell you how many times preparing for this talk, I heard a little voice in the back of my head that said, what? You think you're going to get up and teach? Well, what about this time? Or what about when you said this? and on and on and on. And I would guess that all of us hear that voice uh, that accuses us. Um, but that's not the end of the story. There's a little Twitter that I get on my phone sometimes, and it's kind of, kind of humorous and cute, but it says, whenever Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. And I thought, that's good. I know my past, I know what I've done, and I know Satan's future too, that he's been defeated, and at some point he, he, will, be, uh, he will be banished from us. I won't read through that, but uh, Paul Tripp describes the regret and shame that we all experience, and he goes on to say that, thanks be to God, um, We've been forgiven. Uh, The guilt has been removed. The shame has been removed. We can now come to the throne of grace. So, trying to wrap up here quickly. uh, The final point. Nope, let's see. Here's some thoughts about God's love. He, he knows who we are. He knows your past. He knows my past. Um, he knows the things we struggle with right now. And there's not condemnation. There's not ridicule when we go to the throne of grace. Um, on the day of atonement, they were in fear. They didn't know if God would accept the sacrifice. Today, it says we go with confidence to the throne of grace, the true mercy seat. Uh, By virtue of what Jesus has done, we have authority uh, to go into God's presence and receive his his gracious acceptance. Garen referenced uh, an article by Henry Nouwen uh, that was back Uh, in the back for a couple of weeks 
And in that article, um, he talks about a painting by Rembrandt called The Return of the Prodigal. And it has some, some really meaningful words in the article. The father holds his son, holds his daughter, and touches his son and his daughter and says, you're my beloved. I'm not going to ask you any questions. Wherever you have gone, whatever you have done, whatever people say about you, you're my beloved. I hold you safe in my embrace. I touch you. I hold you beneath my wings. You can come home to me, whose name is compassionate, whose name is love. Just some, some final thoughts. Um, I hope you find truth in these verses that we've looked at today. Um, I, I hope that they're healing for you and comfort for you. Let's stand, and I'd like to read a, a prayer. Actually, let's read this together. Father, we know that you listen to us, not because we deserve it, but because your Son, our great High Priest, brings our needs before your throne of grace and mercy, and you hear them all for his sake. We lift our empty hands to you and ask that you fill them with your grace and help in our time of need. Thank you that you are our beloved and accepted sons and daughters. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are intimately acquainted with our weaknesses and temptations because you were tempted in every way that we are, yet without succumbing to sin. You have promised to show us the way to escape any temptation we face, and that victory and wholeness is impossible in you. Keep us ever close and abiding in you. Amen. You are dismissed.